that have planted a fruit tree can honestly say that you have actually eaten good fruit from the tree you planted. Raise your hand. So about nine hands here. All right. So a lot less. Well, in our passage this morning, we're in John chapter 15, and this passage is about fruit. It's about branches. It's about a vine and an incredible gardener. Would you pray with me as we begin? God, we come to you this morning as we open up your word. God, may you speak to us, reveal yourself to us. We know your word is life. Your word is power. God, help us to learn and understand what it means to abide in Christ, to produce fruit, to be pruned, to grow, to multiply. God, I pray for those here that need encouragement that this sermon may be an encouragement to them wherever they're at in their life, whether they're in a a period of a drought or maybe they're abundantly blessed right now in the season of their life. God, we thank you that you are tending us as your children. We give this morning to you. We thank you for your word and through Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin. We're going to be in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to make it through or attempt to make it through 11 verses this morning. Many times you can just focus on one word in this passage, such as abide, but I want us to get a whole picture of this passage, so we're going to try to work through the whole thing. Beginning in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch And withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In your bulletin this morning, all of you should have an outline. And I'm going to do something a little differently than I typically do. And that's going to be kind of lay out where I'm going. And so the characters, I'm going to do kind of a character study, the beginning of the the passage or the beginning of the sermon this morning on each of the characters, and then we're going to move into the process that we see defined in John chapter 15. So if you have a pen there, you can fill out some of these characters, but first we're going to see the vine. The vine is Jesus Christ. Secondly, the vine dresser. This is God the Father. Then we see that there's branches referenced in this passage. There's two types of branches, branches that bear fruit and branches that do not bear 
fruit. Then we come to fruit. Two types of fruit. There's personal, internal growth, which we're going to look at, and then numerical, external growth. So for those of you who are, make sure you can't miss anything, I'll just go, go back through them. The vine, Jesus Christ, vine dresser, God the Father, two types of branches, those that bear fruit, those that do not bear fruit. Then there's fruit, two different types, internal growth, external growth. So let's begin in verse 1. I am the true vine. Jesus speaking here describes himself not as just a vine or the vine, but says more than that, the true vine. Jesus was contrasting himself, comparing himself to something that his audience, his original listeners, when he would have been speaking to this, they would have been thinking the the true vine, the, the vine is Israel. The vine is the Jewish people. Those are the people that you need to be in part of their family, part of their family tree. And Jesus, in contrast to this, because they're chosen, God's chosen people, he, he would have been speaking to them and said, no, I am the true vine. It's not about this nation or this people, it's about me. And it's always been about me. It's not about being of the lineage of Israel, it's really about being in the family tree of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. So Jesus says, I'm the vine. He goes on and says, and my father, God the father, is the vine dresser. A vine dresser would be like a gardener, someone who tends the vines. This person's responsibility, and I love this picture, as God, our, our Father, as a vine dresser, he has responsibilities. Some of his responsibilities are to promote growth, to promote the production of fruit from the vine. He does this in a number of ways we see in the passage. He does it by pruning. He prunes those branches that bear fruit. Secondly, he cuts away branches that do not bear fruit. If you've ever done any gardening, there's some branches that do not help the plant that you go and you remove. He ensures proper growing conditions. Too much water for too long, just as it does to us, too much blessing for too long can spoil us rotten. And too little water for too long of a period can cause death wilty, dead, weak plants. However, God uses both water and a lack of water for our growth. We're going to see later in the passage. Another responsibility of a vine dresser is he keeps the plant safe from plants or from disease, from sickness, from bugs that may devour it, from thorns and thistles. He tends those from even invasive other plants and other vines that may try to destroy the plant. These can be looked at as sin, temptation, and the flesh. But the vine dresser's overall goal is the production of fruit. His vine needs to produce fruit. That's why we garden. God the Father is the one who tends the vines. This symbolism of a garden... A vine, a vine dresser, comes from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And Jesus' original listeners would have known this passage. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. 
My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for his vineyard to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. This is the Lord speaking. What more was there for me to do with my vineyard? He planted it for fruit. It did not yield what he wanted it to yield. That I have not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and I shall devour it. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they will not rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, there was bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, there was only an outcry. The nation of Israel that we see in the Old Testament was a fruitless nation compared to what God wanted them to be. So God said he would stop doing everything that we see in John chapter 15. Jesus and God the Father say and promise that they are now going to do for us. So Jesus' original listeners would have been thinking that he's now saying that they're going to reinstitute everything that God said he would once stop. He was going to prune. He was going to protect. There was going to be a production of fruit and it was going to be sure. All that was lost and broken in the Old Testament is always found, mended, and restored when we come to the New Testament through Jesus Christ. So we now have access to a true vine, but we also have access to God the Father who is dressing us, watching over us, mending and tending us as the branches. Let's move on to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he... God the Father, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, the vine dresser prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I mentioned there's two types of fruit those that bear fruit, or branches, those that bear fruit, and those that do not. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me, Christ, that does not bear fruit, God the Father takes away. This is a picture of that gardener coming and looking at what branches are producing fruit and pruning those, but also seeing what branches are not producing fruit and removing those. God is tending his vine for maximum effectiveness. There's no such thing as an idle branch on the vine of God. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, and he prunes it for a reason. We're going to get to that shortly. Those two types of fruit are personal internal growth. This is what all of us should be growing in as Christians. This is like Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is a fruit that we should be producing as Christians, an internal fruit. But there's also another kind of fruit that we see in Matthew 13. It says, Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. 
we also as Christians should be producing external numerical growth. Other believers, we should be evangelizing and discipling others. So there's two types of fruit going on. Notice that branches that do not bear fruit are going to be removed and thrown into the fire. But it says that they were in him, which might be a difficulty. This is where some of us might begin to think, so did those branches lose their salvation? I mean, it says every branch in me, Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he takes away and they're going to be thrown into the fire. So the question that immediately rises in our mind is, are those people saved or not saved? Are they losing their salvation because they're not producing fruit? And doesn't that go against what Scripture says about our salvation being works-based? We're going to get to that answer to that question in a moment. But as Christians, we're called to produce both kinds of fruit in our sanctification. I want us to move to verse 3. We're going to come back and answer that question shortly. But verse 3 in John chapter 15 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus shared with the disciples that they were clean, spiritually clean, because of the power of the Word of God that Jesus spoke to them. This is what Jesus taught a few chapters back, where Jesus taught that His disciples were clean, but not all of them. One of His disciples was not clean, and that was Judas. Jesus is reiterating the same thing He has all throughout the book of John, that you were saved by the power of God, not yourself. Back in John 6, we're told the same thing. John 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit of God who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words, listen to this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the words are spirit and life, and then you come to John 15, 3, it says you are clean because of the word spirit and life that I have spoken to you. Jesus does not say they added anything to the process. The great revivalist preacher Jonathan Edwards said it this way, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So John 15, 3 says you're clean. And there's this key word, because, because of your goodness, no. You're clean because of the word, the word of God. Church, we must understand it is the Word of God that is the only power to bring about any life change in our life that is for God's glory. It's the Word of God. It has to start with God's Word. It is spirit and it is life. It is alive. We don't do anything good apart from God. And this is what Jesus is reiterating. And he's saying, I am that vine. We're going to continue and see this in the passage But this is the same type of salvation as Al mentioned that we've been reading about in Romans. I encourage you to come to our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. But in Romans chapter 8, we recently worked through. It's the same type of salvation where it says in Romans 8.29, For those whom God the Father foreknew, He also predestined. Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. There is a process that works that there is not one break in the chain. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, Scripture makes it very clear that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Maybe you're unsure if you're a believer. You're not sure if you were to die today, if you would spend eternity with the Lord. Scripture makes it very clear that you repent of your sins. You trust in Jesus Christ and what He's done. We've sang about it this morning, His death on the cross to redeem us. That's what it means to follow and to trust in Christ. This would be part of that growing. This would be part of that multiplying. We're called all to share the gospel to those who may not know the gospel, that they may come to Christ. Verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. To abide means continually daily in, a personal relationship with Christ. This is a relationship that's characterized by trust, obedience, and joy. To abide means committed to, relying on. It understands I am weak, but Christ is strong, so I look to Christ for all my strength. If you know the story of Peter who's walking on the water, when he's looking into the face of Christ, he's abiding in Christ. When he looks away, he's no longer abiding and he begins to sink. And throughout this passage, Jesus says, when you abide in Christ, and if you abide in Christ, these things will happen. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. So I want to ask you this morning, church, are you abiding in Jesus Christ this morning? Does your life look like a life that you're abiding in Christ? Are you relying on Christ? Because you cannot produce anything spiritually good apart from Him. This is how we should wake up each morning. Of I wake up, apart from you, I can do nothing good today. That's how we should wake up. Because that's reality, isn't it? For those of us who are in Christ, we wake up and say, I'm going to produce nothing today. Unless Christ does it. Unless Christ does something in me, through me, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that's going to happen today for the good of my family, for the good of my job, for the good of God's kingdom. Unless it comes through the vine, Jesus Christ. So I ask, are you abiding in Christ today, this week? What does your life look like I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus clarifies this again and again. Ten times in these couple of verses, he says, abide, 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 abide. What it means to abide is your marriage in need of spiritual fruit this morning. Is your workplace in need of spiritual fruit? Your anxiety is in need of spiritual fruit. It only comes through the vine, Jesus Christ. And it comes when we abide through Christ. So do we live our life in light of the truth that apart from Christ we can do nothing? Well, we should see, we can easily see if we just take an inventory of how much time we spend with time with the Lord. Spend with time in His Word, in prayer, to see if we're abiding. If we're not spending any time, then we think we can produce good fruit on our own. And that's something we should repent of. That's something we should turn to Christ of. So I want us to spend a couple of moments in prayer in the middle of the sermon here. For areas we know we need to begin abiding and things we need to cut away and things we need to start doing to begin abiding in Christ more. So take a moment, spend time 
with the Lord. If you're not even sure if you're a believer, this would be the time where you can spend time with the Lord. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. So let's take a moment and spend time with the Lord personally. God, we ask that you forgive us how often we do not abide in you. I know how easy it is even as a pastor to wake up, eat breakfast, rush to work because there's things to do. God, forgive us of such attitude, self-centeredness, and really arrogance thinking that we can do anything apart from you. God, there is nothing good we can produce apart from you. God, continue to drive that home to us. Help us to wake up each morning and say, God, apart from you, I know I can produce nothing. Help me to abide in you. God, I pray for the things in our life that continually push away our time spent with you, that you may continue the refining fire of removing those things, destroying those things, growing us to where they don't capture us and grab our attention. I pray for the areas people have prayed for where they need to grow, that you may help them in that. Help us to abide in you more and more. We want to produce fruit for our good and for your glory. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to continue on and say that if you were just thinking of areas that you need to change, you're confessing those areas to God, we need to be careful that our confession, we do not substitute for repentance. Because confession is not repentance. Confession only moves the mouth and our, our mind, but it doesn't move the heart. Repentance is what moves the heart. And so when we repent of something biblically and we say, I need to stop doing this and start doing this, repentance means there's action behind that. So I encourage you, if how many of you, just by a show of hands, would say there's something you need to stop or start doing to begin abiding in Christ more today? Raise your hand. All right. That's almost everyone. Good. All right. Now, the homework is, as you leave this place, spouses, husbands, wives, children, friends, people who just raise their hand, a great conversation to have today as you leave this place is what, what are some ways I can help encourage you to abide in that area that you, that you need to change? And we all begin to hold each other accountable. That's a question my wife's going to ask me. She's going to say, you raised your hand. So what area is in your mind God's convicted you of, of where you need to abide in Christ or things you need to put away? So we need to be holding each other accountable for those things. So I encourage you to do that. That's a process of sanctification. This is fruit that God is growing in us. So I encourage you to walk that out. I want to transition and begin looking at the process. The process is on the bottom of the outline here. And there's a process that we see defined in John 15. I'm going to read through the rest of the passage. We're going to go back and look at this process. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We see this process here. And to begin, first we see in verse 3, someone is saved or made clean by the word of God. This has to be our starting point. So what you're going to write in the very center of that little triangle is made alive or made clean. This is verse 3. Made clean. So in the very center, this will be also the next slide. It will say made clean. You can just write that in. This is the starting place of the process. Someone does not begin abiding in Christ until they are alive and capable of abiding in Christ. So before one can abide, one first must be made clean. Moving on, we see abiding in Christ. So after you're made alive, the second point or the next step in the process is that you begin abiding in Christ. That's going to go in that next fill in the blank there. We see this 10 times in the passage from verse 3 until um, even verse 7. It says, abide, 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 abide in Christ. So after someone has been made clean by the power of the word of God, they begin abiding, relying in Jesus Christ. But what happens after that? Well, we get to this question, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers, he's going to be gathered and thrown into the fire. This is where that question came up earlier of, is this person losing their salvation? Because it says they're in the vine, but now they're going to be cut away from the vine and thrown away. Well, we need to understand when we come to a parable that not every illustration in the parable is to be taken literally. For instance, none of us really think Jesus Christ is a vine, right? So there's some aspects that we take symbolically, and others literally. In this parable, the problem arises when we all, I included when I first read the passage, assume that someone simply being part of the vine is what makes them a Christian. But it's not being part of the vine that makes them a Christian. What is it actually that Jesus teaches makes them a Christian? It doesn't say being part of the vine. It's to abide is what it truly means to be part of the vine. Let's go through a series of questions here. What is the determining factor for why God removes some branches and not others? What is it, church? Why does God remove some branches? Because they do not produce fruit. So the next question is, why do some branches not produce fruit? Because they what? Because they're not abiding. So the next question is, why are some branches not abiding? Because they haven't been made alive. Do you see that in the passage? It's a process of it has to be made alive, then abiding, and then there is a production of fruit. So Jesus says they're not abiding. It's not because of the abiding. It's really back because they've never been made alive. He says if you abide, you will produce fruit. He says those who are not producing fruit, I remove. It's not the production of fruit 
that makes someone Christian. It's the production of fruit we see in verse 8 that proves someone to be a Christian. So verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So fruit is the evidence of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Which this is going to be a bonus point. It's not in the process here. But a bonus point for us this morning is there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's no such thing as someone who's a Christian who they're not growing in the fruit of the Spirit and they're not producing disciples. That would just show they've never been a Christian. They may look like it, but they're not. Fruit is the determining factor. It's, it's not the determining factor. It's only the evidence showing that they've been made alive through Christ. So there's this process where we're made alive, we're made clean. Then it goes to abiding. Those who have been made alive abide in Christ. Now there may be seasons where we abide more than others and God produces more or less of things. So it's not like I want us to have this picture that we're perfectly sanctified when we come to Christ and we're perfectly abiding in Christ. No, there's a process of sanctification that happens in our life. But it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As we work through this process, the next step here is when you abide, you will what? Produce fruit. So the next portion that you can write in is as we produce fruit, we will be pruned to produce more fruit. So you're made alive. When you've been made alive, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you begin to look to Christ. As you begin to look to Jesus Christ, the next step is as you've been looking to Christ, you're going to produce fruit. And the scripture teaches as you're producing fruit, he's going to begin to do what? Prune you so that you may what? Produce more fruit. So it should look like this, made alive, abiding, and then it goes to producing fruit, which leads to pruning, and pruning leads to producing more fruit. This is how the scriptures teach that he's at work in our life, in the process. We're producing fruit. I want to share with you a story of my gardening abilities here. I have no idea when to trim or prune plants. And so when there's a plant in our backyard that is out of control, I go out of control. And so how I begin to trim this plant is out of control. There's not like a time or a period or I should do it this season or this way. It's just I'm going to begin cutting and hacking away at this plant until it looks how I want it to look. I don't care about the health of it. I'm just outward appearance only here. And so there's this plant by our door that it kept pushing through our screened-in back porch door, and I just got sick and tired of it. So I just start hacking this plant away. And then I realize, well, it's looking a little better. I'm going to do it some more. So then I make it smaller and smaller and smaller. Pretty soon it's really small, and I just decided I'm tired of cutting this thing. I've spent an hour and a half pruning this thing. I don't need this in my life. So I just tear out the whole plant. I think my wife liked the plant, but the plant's gone, you know, so just simplify life. That's my gardening abilities. We need to understand God doesn't do that with us. God only prunes those who are his, and he only prunes us in such a way to such an extent to produce more fruit, never to harm us. It's always for our good. 
It's never, well, I'm going to work a little bit here, and I'm just, this is a big waste of time. What am I doing? And just throw it away. God does not do that with us. He's a caring, loving gardener, tending us to produce fruit for our good, to keep us healthy. But pruning is not fun, and he does that through a number of ways. He prunes his branches. And I want us to realize and to begin to picture God as a gardener and how he's gardening in your life. Because he can prune us and produce fruit in us through generous conditions. Maybe there's a period of your life where you look back on it. Maybe you're in it now where your life, you're just abundantly blessed. And he is, there's blessing upon blessing. And it's producing in you fruit from joy. You have joy because you're just so richly blessed and you realize it. And there's joy and there's fruit being produced because of just the riches of Christ. But Jesus and God the Father also will produce fruit in us through pain, pruning, suffering, sickness, brokenness, relationships. He will also use those to produce fruit in us. And he does it in just the right way, never to send us into shock or dormancy or death. He does it in just enough where we survive and hang on, but our roots are forced to go deeper. And our branches are forced to become stronger because of the pruning that happens within us. Maybe you're in a period of life, even right now, where you feel distant from God and God feels distant from you. Theologically, you know God is just as close to you as he's always been. You can't have this distance because of what Scripture says. But emotionally, you don't feel close to him. It's just a season of a drought. Maybe you felt that before you're in that now. Well, this is a time where God is using this to encourage you and to force you to send roots deep. You're not getting rained on every day. So you're in a a drought. And what, what do plants have to do in droughts? They have to search for other sources of water. So as a believer, as a plant, we send our roots deeper in search of the living water, Jesus Christ, when there's periods of drought. And it's for our good. Because when the rain comes later, and we've had a year of little, and then there is a year of plenty with water, what happens to that plant that has a deep-rooted system? It flourishes. We're overwhelmed by the power and the grace and the love of God. Little did I know God's been preparing this sermon for me to preach for months because we have had a tremendous amount of yard work, a lot of backyard fun. So thank you, Lord, for allowing this. But I, we recently redid our whole backyard and planted grass back there and had to re-landscape it, bring in a bunch of dirt. I have a before picture of our backyard. So this is after we brought in more than a truckload of dirt and began leveling it out. And so um, the child is not there anymore. He's actually somewhere around here, right? So there is, this actually looks great. It used to be tall weeds. But then we planted grass and it actually came in incredibly beautiful. There's another picture that I have here. And so Doesn't that just look nice? You could just flip between those two. It makes me feel really good up here. Looks better than I could imagine. Oh, yeah. So, so, God, thank you for my backyard. You know, that's just something else. We can praise God that there's a backyard my my children can play in now. So there's this grass, but we planted this grass, and there's 
explicit instructions on how to plant, when to plant, and how to cut the grass. And it says, after you've planted and the grass gets such and such tall, to be sure and cut it. And if it was me, I would have planted the grass if I had no instruction, make sure I water it, and I would let the grass get really, really tall to make sure it's growing well. But the instructions say, do not let it do that. You need to cut it as soon as it gets a certain height. And it's because that ensures that it's healthy. And the same thing God does with us. He doesn't allow us just to go out of control even when it looks good. He comes and prunes us and cuts it. And so this is why we have droughts and circumstances in our life. It forces us. So we see we've been, back to the process, made alive in Christ then we're abiding in Christ, we're looking to Christ. As we look to Christ, we abide. As we abide, we produce fruit. As we produce fruit, we're pruned, right? And as there's fruit being produced and we're being pruned, Scripture goes to the fourth point, and it is our joy in Christ. We have joy in Christ. It's a growth of our personal joy, but also Christ's joy in us. And this is also circular. We have Christ's joy in us, I'm joyful. As I'm abiding in Christ and there's fruit in my life, I look to Christ and I have joy in my life that is overflowing. I have joy that's coming out. In Scripture, in verse 11 here, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my, Jesus, my joy may be in you. This is an incredible statement that I had to look at a long time because it almost sounds blasphemous when you think that Jesus is going to get joy from looking at us. Because theologically, I think, no, he, he gets joy only from himself and not nothing else. But it says, my joy may be in you. And it's not like a feeling of joy in me. The scriptures actually are saying his joy, he has joy in us because of our joy in him. If you know John Piper, this is where he would say, God is most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in him. So as we produce fruit, we have joy in Christ. And as this is all happening, it's from him anyways. Christ is able to look down and he has joy in us as we have joy in him. Incredible, incredible thought. This would be like how I look at my children and I have joy in them. My joy is not in them, but I have joy in them because I see them doing something that brings me joy. For instance, yesterday we were at a restaurant and Elias, our two and a half year old, gently went over to Lincoln and took out his pacifier and gently gave him a little Cheerio. It doesn't matter that we realized the Cheerio was off of the restaurant floor. That doesn't matter, right? Gave him the Cheerio and then gently put his passy back in. So there, there you go, Lincoln. You know, it's like those moments where Amanda and I are like, oh, that was so sweet, even though it was off the nasty floor. And there's moments like that as you're a parent that you just have joy in your children. And it's the same way with Christ as we're walking this out and we're actually doing what we were created for. Church, you were created to produce fruit. And when you produce fruit, it will make something in you alive. And you will begin to want to do it more. 
You'll see somebody's life change or their marriage change or your marriage change as you spend time with God. And then you want to do it more and more and more. And you have joy. And as Christ sees us have joy because we're abiding in him, it brings him joy. Incredible passage. And then that goes back. As as we have joy in Christ and he has joy in us, it goes back that we abide more. It's this process that is circular that Christ is doing in us. It is hard work to produce fruit. There is an effort that we're called to exert, but it is through Christ and for Christ. I have an ending illustration here. I have two fruit trees, actually three fruit trees in our backyard. One of them is a banana tree. This is our banana trees. There's actually five stalks of bananas growing up in this big one. They're just out of control, growing all over the place. And then there's a lemon tree. Next picture here. This is our poor, sad, pray for our lemon tree. It's actually no longer there, as you saw in the picture. But this was our lemon tree. And it used to be three times that size. But the branches continued, got broken off. And you see this last branch. And we came home. I think there's a next slide. And there was a storm. Uh, one more over. There was a storm, and you can actually see... One more ever. There we go. You can actually see that it broke off in a storm, but it was still connected. It was still connected to that stalk. And out of those two, which of those two trees looked the healthiest? The banana trees or our lemon tree? Well, clearly the banana trees look the healthiest. But I can tell you the fruit I've received from the banana trees equals zero. Nothing. They're growing all over the place. They're out of control. They're multiplying, but we've received zero fruit. Why did I plant those trees? For fruit, right? So Don Pecora got those plants. I've heard everybody else's plants who he's given are producing fruit all over the place. My plants are not. And if they don't for much longer, what's going to happen? I'm going to tear them out, right? And so I'm just going to throw them away. They're taking up yard space. Well, our lemon tree was dying on its last legs, broken in half. And I can tell you, you saw the picture there. It produced the most fruit when it was in the saddest state of its life. Which is often what our life looks like as well, church. I mean, the Christian life looks more like that lemon tree that is broken, tattered, torn, split in half, but still connected to the source of its nutrients, and out of that, it's producing fruit. Because of it being in that state, it's producing more fruit because it knows to ensure survival of lemon, lemon trees, it has to produce fruit. While the banana trees have time and water and sunshine and everything it needs, and it looks healthy, but it has produced nothing. The Christian life is a lot like that lemon tree. I want to ask us, which of those two trees does our life look like? We're very blessed to be in Marco Island, but do we have to have God place us in a situation to force us to produce fruit? 
I would rather not have to, but many times that is how it happens. But which of those two trees do we want to be like? One that looks healthy, that's producing nothing? Or one that looks like its life is turned upside down, but it is faithfully producing fruit? This past weekend, I listened to a podcast, and uh, it was a John Piper podcast, and he gave a prayer for a family of five who was on their way to the mission field, to Japan, to live as missionaries. 29, 28-year-old, husband and wife, their three children, two and a half, one and a half, and a, and a newborn, some, somewhere around those ages. And on the way to the airport to fly to be missionaries, they were rear-ended by a semi. All five of their lives were ended. This family taken to heaven together. Did they produce fruit? Yes. Absolutely they produced fruit. They were faithful to Christ, and they were and still are missionaries. They received that crown of giving their life to missions. Church, what it means to be faithful is not always that we look a certain way. It's that we're faithful even to the end of life. So I encourage us this morning, we abide in Jesus Christ. We find ways to produce fruit. We get involved in others' relationships, small groups, connect groups, discipleship, finding other people we can disciple. We have these programs here at the church for those reasons. May we produce fruit. May we be pruned for God's glory. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for making us alive. And as you've made us alive, we look to you because there's no other source of strength we have. So we abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we thank you that you produce fruit in us, your children. And you prune us to produce more fruit. And as we produce fruit, God, we we are given joy. We have joy because we're actually doing what you've called us to do. I'm doing what I was created to do, produce fruit. God, I pray that we may be a church that produces fruit for you. Not only because we're called and commanded to do it, but because we love to do it. And it brings joy. And as we grow in our joy, God, to see that you have joy in us. It's just an incredible thought. And as this joy grows, we continue and look back and continue to abide. God, I I pray that, that that cycle and that process may become more and more evident in all of our lives. God, may we be faithful in what you've called us to do. Help us to find new ways. If we're unsatisfied and we look at our life and we think, My life looks more like that banana tree than it does that lemon tree that is producing fruit. Help us find areas where we can change and produce fruit for your church and your kingdom and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.